Good morning, H-Town. Time to go to work. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles in its Good Friday. Hopefully it's going to be a good draft for the Texans. Wanted to try and get another episode out as the dead spot of the weekend can sometimes leave you feeling short by Monday as the draft, as we're finally back at the top of the order for a long time. Uh, but a good friend of mine, Mr. Lee Wayfield's joining us. Lee, how you doing? Yeah, good, good. It's good to be back here and after a year. We just saying before we came on that we did this last year and uh, yeah, we're back again. No, good to, good to talk about the team as well. No, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, do you want to just for people that are familiar, just kind of lay lay out a little bit about your process, uh, and the and your evaluation and just and how you guys are doing it? And I, I want to talk you through something, and we'll probably talk through some of your big board that I saw you put out today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. So it's, it's obviously a year round process almost these days, isn't it? You know, it starts after probably like a month of uh, a month of downtime after the, the the draft this year then you just start you know collating a big huge list of players doing some summer scouting getting through you know as much tape as possible at that point obviously it's about volume you know just getting a few games per player just to kind of get a feel for them and then obviously moving through the season I, I do try and enjoy the season as a fan as much as possible you know I probably don't start my actual process for this year until about October when I start probably writing up my sort of first scouting reports proper and then obviously it really ramps up obviously this time of year with things like the All-Star Games in January, Combine obviously in, in March and sort of that time of year and sort of getting the, everything finalised. But yeah, obviously uh, put together the uh, the scouting reports, as you mentioned, the draft guides come out uh, yesterday. Um, our process for me personally, I, I personally try and watch about four, maybe five games uh, for that current season, plus all the games that I would watch summer scouting, you know, just kind of flicking through those as well. So just trying to get as much tape as possible, really, just evaluating those traits and just splitting those into the most important aspects of what I value for that position. You know, for example, I'm doing not on edge players, obviously, this year. So I'm looking a lot at, you know, first step, bend, hand usage primarily, and everything else secondary to that, really, you know, and, and you know, the various sort of positions obviously having their primary traits as well. Whacking it in yeah. the grading scale, putting the combine numbers in and, you know, things like experience and production in college and, and kind of there we have it, really. And then you, you spit out a big draft guide at the end of it. How do you balance scheme fit and tape mm. together? Because obviously some teams are looking for completely different sort of stuff. So, you know, if you, I see you've got Derek Stingley, number one, which, you know, we'll come on to that and things like that. But how do you, how do you balance scheme fit um, and kind of, you know, sort of all the kind of... <laughs> The intangibles, as they call mm. it, off field. How do you kind of balance that out, you know, versus just kind of raw tape or you know analytics stats, etc. It's difficult, isn't it? Because your know, team fit is so so important to how that player is going to end up and have their career in the NFL. You can really you know make or break a prospect, really. So it's really important, but at the same time, it's kind of the thing that we don't find out until it's almost too late because obviously then the drafts happened and you know where the player's gone. So I value scheme versatility a lot, you know, in terms of you know can they fit for as many teams as possible so you kind of know that they've kind of got that safety blanket to kind of perform for as many in, in as many spots in the league as possible so yeah for you know for, for example again going back to edge looking like a premium position you don't want to waste that pick and you know maybe we'll get on to that, obviously texans with a third pick overall um in this month's draft so you know if they can rush from a two point or three point stance maybe drop into coverage a little bit you know they've got that all-around skill for that i really value that um, you know, for me, you know, in terms of like tape versus analytics and things like that, tape is king for me. 
Um, analytics is a good tool, a useful tool. You know, I think they're a really good tool to kind of prove my evaluation, I would say, but they don't make it. Um, mm. For example, you know, if I'm using things like pass, pass rush win rate and, you know, run stuff rate and things like that for sort of defensive linemen and things, you know, for offensive guys, you know, things like the other tools that are out there, such as like Matt Harmon's reception perception, you know, for when the wide receivers running certain routes and their win rate on those routes. I think they're really useful tools to kind of add into all the, the melting pot of all the information that you get because you know, there's so much information out there nowadays, which is just how to kind of use it. And and I think that is, like I say, super, super useful, but tape is tape's always king. Trust your eyes. Yeah, that's it. And I think it is, isn't it? And I remember uh, Brett, Brett Veach from the, the Chiefs saying, mm-hmm. anybody can see it, you just need to watch long enough. And I yeah, think that's yeah. so true. I've probably rattled through about 150 guys so far this year. I'm starting to get a bit of... Uh, name blindness I think in terms of some <laughs> yeah. but a good example of that just told the stats was so I saw George Pickens drop rate tightening obviously sample size is smaller than other guys but yeah oh. then you go back watch some of his get up and go plays some of the stuff he does at the point of attack some of his route run his get off at the line of scrimmage he's, a, he's got that bit mm. more sort of physicality mm. than some of the guys that have been talked about in the general media narrative about um, where he where he falls and you go back and watch him you think actually yeah he's a better player than I probably I probably watched yeah. when, when I was maybe watching another guy and I kept notes and then you, then you end up going back but then Somebody I thought was a good player, and I'd sort of watched a couple of games. Was Christian Watson, North Dakota State, then and then the same stat you saw his drop rate, and then actually it, it, I went back and watched another couple of games I hadn't watched. And I thought, well, actually his right run isn't all that crisp. Um, the the drops was there, and he's a little bit raw. So yeah, it was it was interesting. Just you know, when you can you can take different inputs, and you can go back, and you can take a different lens. I mean, I uh, salute my hat to you, or, or tip my cap to you rather. You guys trying to do it non horizontally because I think trying to value a corner versus you know a guard and how you how that you know mm. comes into sort of a rankings is you know how you can see one player is better than the other is is really really difficult. Yeah. And it's it's something I'm not even tried. I've just got a horizontal board this year. Going to finish it out, put it out probably the Monday of the draft when we do the final pod before that so mm. but yeah no it's, it's very very difficult I think and it, it, um, it goes back to kind of perception as well doesn't it obviously you've got two players that you mentioned there one completely ascending in everyone's mind especially after the combine where he absolutely blew it away in Watson and then George Pickens who has obviously started from a higher starting point being at Georgia you know as opposed to North Dakota State but was obviously had the injury and really fell out of people's minds but then when you go back and watch you think actually we've kind of let that kind of blind us a little bit because George Pickens is a really good, talented player. Without mm. the injury, we'd be talking him up whereas amongst the best wide receivers in the class. Yeah. And then yeah. you've got this guy who's come along late in the process and it kind of, recency bias comes into it far too much. 100% and like everybody fell, in, I mean, and I, I, you know, watching uh, Tavon uh, Walker have his, his combine, yeah. he just looked like everything a defensive end should be, you mm. know, sort of even front. Um, and... It's, it's, it's easy to kind of fall for that. I think Jelani Woods was another one, you know, from the combine yeah. where you just go, kind of oh, look at this guy. You know, <laughs> how can he not be good? Yeah. You know, but I think there's a lot there's a lot more to it than that. And you said the tape doesn't lie. Mm. Um, what do you think? We'll come, we'll come back to the, the view of the class. We'll go through some of the boards. I'll shoot some names at you. We'll come back to that. What did you think of the Peter King quote? I don't know if you saw it this week, where he said, a G, he quoted a GM basically and said, uh, hit their board or, or that that team's specific board mm. is skewed to third and fourth rounders. Now I don't like giving a grade of a round on somebody because it only takes one team to pull the trigger. Sure. You know, at a certain point, you know, Seattle do it all the time. They did it with the with the linebacker the other year. You know, the you know the two LG was it LG Collier was that was another year yeah, right. um, was taken. Yeah, so guys like that, nobody kind of had pegged in those rounds. It does it kind of it becomes mm. almost irrelevant as soon as the clock starts. But 
Peter King basically said uh, they want to try and trade out the first and second round as much as possible because the most depth at this position or, or all positions they see mm. is the third and fourth round. But so far they've been unwilling to trade back because I think a lot of teams are in that. And and when you think of the sort of curve or talent curve, if you like, I've kind of viewed it as there's about three or four guys at the top end which you think, yeah, book them, you know, no questions about. Then there's maybe about a group of seven to eight guys in that sort of second tier. You think, yeah, they've got all the traits, all the measurables to go and be or, or got the tape to go and be quality starters, mm. you know, and then, you know, the rest is up to them at that point. And then you've kind of got a big, big sort of deep pool of depth that could all be, you know, good, you know, you know bona fide starters from any mm. team's scheme specific um, from about 20 to about 60. And there's this kind of like real kind of like glut of of kind of mid-round talent. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, the position positional values dictate who falls within that glut. But do, do you sort of um, subscribe to that view as like an accurate shape of the draft? Curve in terms of talent for for this year, I, I would I, you know because I think really in terms of this class as a whole, I really think it gets a bit of a bad rap because there's not a lot of QB talent. So I think in everyone's yeah. mind, then everyone's like, oh, it's not a good class just because there's not a good QBs in it. That's completely true, but at the same time, it can also be true that there's the rest of you know the rest of the class is really good, and I do think that it's a pretty decent class overall. But I think one of its big features, as you've kind of alluded to, especially with this quote that you've got there, that. It is a deep draft in terms of like the, the middle sort of pack. And I do think there's a lot of good players. I mean, obviously we're seeing a lot of the, the big names do their you know seven round mock drafts and things like that now. And you know, you, you're scrolling through and you know, I'm not gonna read every single pick, but often you know, I look at the group by group, the team by team picks, and you look at the kind of what they would have come away with as a big haul in that, and you think, God, they're that's a really good haul. And you're doing that for a lot of teams, which I think really accentuates the fact that it is a big sort of glut in the middle with talent and you're not seeing too many teams coming away with bad hauls because you're thinking, yeah, in the mid-rounds, that, that team would have smashed it if that's the way they came away with their draft. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that people want to trade back. I mean, people always want to trade back anyway because they want as many swings at the at the plate as possible, don't they? So, um, anyway, yeah. and it's a deep draft, I think, in terms of its talent. I don't think its variation is too much. I think, yeah, the ceiling might be a little bit lower, but the floor's a little bit higher as well, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think in... Um, in because what do you make of all the kind of, and I know it kind of gives content, right? But it's, in theory, I've you know I've, I think when you when you look at fit, when you look at you know that all the kind of off field stuff that you know teams spend a huge amount of money and resources putting into understanding these prospects, top thirty visits to you know scratch they get scratch away at the guys that they're not quite sure of, mm-hmm. and then you kind of see this kind of you know uh, this guy's sliding, this guy's you know grow you know this guy's uh, shooting up draft boards, yeah. which. In real terms, is bollocks, isn't it? Because ultimately, you know, like you, and I know Nick Casario say uh, talked about this because he said ultimately we're not just looking at the final year tape, we're looking at body work. Uh, you know, that's a percentage of it, and then then after that, there's mm. there's a number of, uh, you know, factors that will take into account. But ultimately, it's what they do on the field. Mm. Um, so like you know, like a guy like for example, Sam Howell had you know he was he was great and then fell away. Um, and then you've got guys who, you know, who like with Tavon Walker, for example, who's right up at the end of the, the top. Yeah. We're talking about going number one, um, and but he's not really got the production. Um, so, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, I think all teams knew that at the end of the season, what he was like. They all watched it, um, and they're just getting final tweaks and input mm-hmm. from coaches to kind of adjust it. But do you think people buy into that too much? You know, I, and I know obviously the Laramie Tunsil one's a great example of the, the video on draft night. That was mm-hmm. a true fall because that was yeah. information that came out that didn't have. But, but, you know, in, in real terms, you know, 
the, most most of the work's already been done by the end of the college season, isn't it? It's yeah. just like you know, it's uh, it's just certifying it effectively. Is, is my view of it? What do you think? Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's obviously a few really good examples. Kayvon Walker, Walker's sorry, yeah, he's one of them. No, Tavon Walker, he's yeah. he's one of them. And uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is the kind of the other kind of opposite, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I think there's a few reasons, and I think the way you opened up with what you just said there, the media, I think, is a big driver of it because I feel like one of the reasons why Kayvon Thibodeau's kind of sliding is boredom. And the, the new cycle needs to move on, doesn't it? It can't just be yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau in his sophomore years, killing it. He's going to be the number one pick in a couple of years. Starts his junior year. Yeah, he should probably come out and he's going to be the number one pick. And then you get all the way through the season. You can't arrive in sort of February of that season and after the season's finished and be like, yeah, he's probably still number one. You know, unless it's a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, like we did have, and that's, you know, quarterback's a sexy position, isn't it? But a defensive player being talked about for three years in a row as the number one bit, it's not going to happen, you know? So they need to kind of churn this cycle in, obviously, you know, you've got some other factors such as, you know, GMs feeding the media smoke screens, you know, or we, yep. we want Thibodeau to fall. Might be someone like the Texans actually, you know, wanting to fall to number three or something like that. And you know, they say, oh yeah, he doesn't have the work ethic. I'm not happy with the way he kind of talks about his branding and things like that. And I think there's parts parts of it, it's, you know, that all make up the real picture really, you know. And I think some of it is older generations that don't understand these kind of younger Gen Z guys who understand how personal branding is really important and um they don't see it like that because there was nothing like that back in their day sort of thing and then you get the other side of it with the the risers as you mentioned and i think there's a sort of portion of it that's kind of double dipping on the combine and getting too excited about that and really you shouldn't grade those players twice because if they look good on film and they look fast on film strong on film then when they come to the combine and do the exact same thing, then why are we getting excited again? Do you know what I mean? So it's a it's a sort of sometimes it's poor process, sometimes it's the media, sometimes it's other people driving it that are being disingenuous for their own benefit. So yeah. I think there's a lot of things that can kind of drive it really, but uh, it's a combination of all those. Yeah, well, Thibaut was one. I mean, I tweeted out this week there was um, Albert Breer, who's very close to Nick Casario. Mm. He, he he talked about they just don't think they'll they'll look uh, Thibodeau's way. It was mentioned by Lance Zerline, who's got a radio station in Houston, is on NFL Network. Yeah. Um, and it's been mentioned by John Harris, who's a Texas media sideline reporter, but also, you know, big draft, draft Nick. He's got his own kind of draft uh, website, footballtakeover.com, mm. and, and, and some really in-depth analysis on, on the prospects. So when you put those three together, they're probably the three that I trust the most in the Texas. Sure. So I think people are going to be disappointed if they, if they pass on them. Uh, I see you've got him rated over Aidan Hutchison. Do you want to talk about the differences there that you saw? I know it's slight, but obviously you've got Hutchison a senior, Thibodeau a junior. So in theory, you know, Hutchison should be better, you know, overall rounded coming out. and Because ultimately you're drafting traits, upside projection, not what they've done to this point, I yeah. think. And that's what people kind of forget. Yeah, no, I, I obviously, like I said before, I do have them not too far apart. But yeah, Thibodeau is above. I think Thibodeau's got the higher ceiling. I see him as a kind of... Um, a pick that can kind of go on and improve a lot more. Whereas I think Aiden Hutchinson's kind of your higher floor guy, but maybe doesn't have the ceiling. And they're completely different players in the way that they kind of go about their business. You know, Thibodeau's more of a first step kind of explosion guy. He needs to become more refined with his pass rush moves and things like that. But I think, you know, that is a case of learning those things. Whereas, you know, um, Hutchinson is more of a power guy. I think he's had you know an amazing season and kind of come up on the rails a little bit more because Start of the season, I'm thinking back to last summer, I had him as like a mid-first-round guy because he had some good tape, had some bad tape, he'd had some injuries at Michigan. And then obviously they've, they've exploded as a team, you know, him and Ojabo especially have just managed to kind of um, play off each other. And I think that does come into it a little bit. You know, you've got to take into account the situations that are in. If they have two good edge rushers and both of them are going to perform better because of each other, whereas Thibodeau 
was kind of the guy for Oregon, always has been, you know, the whole college career that he's had and he's still getting production. But yeah, I just kind of, you know, graded him differently for different things, but they, you know, ultimately came out at pretty similar grades. So uh, they should both have great careers and they should be, you know, edge ones for their respective teams where they go to for a long, long time. But yeah, just slightly different players, but have slightly different outlooks on them as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, well I'll, I'll shoot some names off and some of the positions that stuck out to me. We'll do a bit of rapid fire. Yeah, you can it. give me your 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 uh, evaluation of them. So you have Malik Willis as your top rate quarterback. Is that right? Um, I I don't. I think it's Matt Corral in the in our guide. Oh, sorry, I missed that. Right. Okay. So Corral. <laughs> right. So I agree with you on that one. So <laughs> give me give me an evaluation of Corral. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not it's not done as a it's it's done by person by person. So as much as Matt Corral is my number one guy. I don't know if I would have had him rate as highly as Kieran did. Um, you might come on to Stingley and how, how much he kind of rates certain players. Um, but mm. Matt Corral, I think he's got good leadership. I think he's got a good sort of charisma around him. I think he's the sort of guy that could lead an NFL offense. Um, obviously, there is some immaturity issues there, but I think as he gets older and that will come out of him. But I do think he has the, like I say, the charisma and leadership abilities. On the field, he's got good um, mobility and he's got a pretty live arm, although his accuracy sometimes isn't great. My kind of things that give me a little bit of pause about him, aside from the immaturity that he shows sometimes, is the fact that that Ole Miss offense is purely kind of RPO. But again, if he kind of goes to an offense that's similar to that, then happy days. So it's you know very much a fit in that sense if it goes to the right team. And I don't think he'd be very high on some players, uh, some teams' boards, but I think as a as a player, I think he's got the upside. Um, both athletically and as a passer that he can kind of explode in the league especially if he's in the right offence and if it is I mean obviously the the NFL game is becoming very similar to the college game in terms of RPOs yeah. and things like that so I think he's got a chance Yeah no I, I, the quote I saw that kind of stuck me would grown men with families want him to lead their team and I think that's probably something that mm. you know and all these guys need to sit a year right but I think yeah, that yes, that, that's the big thing about this QB class yeah. isn't it I don't yeah. think any of them are ready really to start in year one yeah, and I think the fact that you've also got, you know, a guy, okay, he's, he's, he's run a lot of kind of RPO stuff, mm. but ultimately, you know, it's not saying that he can't sit back in the pocket, but he's just going to have to learn to do that. And that's the projection yeah. that teams have to make. Uh, but I think when you see that, that you know, that he's willingness to go and make plays and everything like that, you know, the baseline talent's probably there mm. uh, versus a Malik Willis. Mm. And I would agree with you. First one that sticks out to me in your top, when obviously Stingley, we talked about Kyle Hamlin there about. Um, the, the big one that sticks out to me is probably goes against the consensus is Lewis seen safety Georgia 10th overall yeah yeah that was that was one that shocked me actually as well how high he came out but yeah to be fair it's it's not my grade again but it, it's one that I wouldn't exactly go against too much I do like him a lot as a prospect I do think he's got good range I do think he you know he's been part of a great defense and, and really held his own as one of the best players in it surprisingly he does come out as our top rated Georgia defender which maybe does shock a lot, a lot of people and top 10 is probably, like you say, up above the consensus. But, you know, I think he's a really solid player. I think he's going to have a really good career. Like I say, range, tackling ability, coverage ability, I think he's fine. Um, I think he can play a bit of both as well. So I think, again, that scheme versatility, I think he's mm-hmm. going to be better in um, split safety looks, but I think he's got the range and ability to, and the sort of athleticism to play as a deep safety as well. So, yeah, kind of an all-round safety that you want. Um, yeah, I'd say big board not going to be drafted in the top 10 for you know for sure but yeah no a really solid player I think yeah I need to go and watch more of his trailing Burks and I see you got him at 12th mm. overall um I just kind of see him as a big slot uh guy can do maybe the short to intermediate stuff quite well yeah. um I've not watched enough I only I've watched the game against Georgia and I just couldn't get the ball out to him and it was yeah. just it wasn't a great evaluation so um that's the only one I've watched to date but um 
beyond a couple of cut-ups and things like that. But but yeah, he, he's a guy that I'm, I'm just not quite sure of. You know, there's a lot of people talking about the Texans taking a receiver and the 13th pick, etc. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are just justifications, particularly where, where we are on our development curve yeah. trying to build back yeah. and build a roster. I just don't think any of these guys are value. But what do you think of uh, Burks and just generally the kind of top, top two or three guys? Yeah, no, I would, I would go along with that in, in terms of wide receiver at 13 for the Texans in particular probably isn't the way to go. I think this wide receiver class is pretty deep and you could get some good talent in the later rounds. I know you've got lots of picks this year, so yeah, not the way to go at 13. But yeah, with Burks, I think he's a really good player. I think he's a really solid player. I know that you said to start off with that the fact that he's a big slot counts against him, but that is in vogue with the NFL at the minute. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. You know, it's not as um, much of a death sentence, let's say, as what it would have been in previous years. But I do think he's quite versatile. I know his combine kind of shocks a few people, but on tape, I do think he seems a little bit more agile than that. You know, Arkansas running him on um, you know, jet sweeps and things like that and getting him getting the ball in his hands, essentially, to you know, use his run after the catchability, which I think is a, a huge, huge part of it. But he can also go down the field and win at the point of attack and, and go up and get it. You know, he's got huge hands, he uses it to his ability, he's physical. And um, yeah, he, 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 like I say, he's, he, he's quicker and more athletic and more nimble on tape than he is running in shorts and t-shirt at the combine, I guess. But he's a player that I'm, I'm quite high on. He's not my wide receiver one. Um, in particular, I like the Ohio State guys over him. Yeah, um, yeah me too. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do rate him as a player. I do think he'll have a good good career in the NFL. I think as a, a poor comp, really, but I'm not a big comps guy. Um, you remember the Lavisca Chanel who came out a couple of years ago was just got yeah. um, I think released by the Jags or traded by the Jags. He was very much in the same mould at Colorado where he was the offence. I think it was very much similar sort of stakes yeah. for him at Arkansas and I do think the similar-ish kind of players in terms of their play style I think Burks obviously is a lot more physically imposing so should have a better career than Chenault but it's kind of that sort of situation I think where it's all on his shoulders and like you say the Georgia the game is a prime example of that where they just couldn't get the ball to him because you know Georgia was just shutting anyone down and taking away that main weapon and their defence was amazing so yeah it's difficult yeah. No, absolutely. And I'll put I'll put the link to this board in the show if anyone's want to have a, a read of it. Um, absolutely. The the one that kind of stands out, I suppose, is Brees Hall, eleventh overall as a as a tailback for me at just positional value. Mm. But um, but I think the the one that actually I do agree with to a degree, maybe not quite as low as this, uh, is Jermaine Johnson at thirty. So I watched four games of him yesterday because I thought around to kind of obviously you see the highlights. You saw him tear up the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I went back and watched a couple of games of Georgia, and actually when you watch him at the start of the year. Last year, not great. Watch him about eight, eight or nine games in, more, more, um, far more disruptive, far more effective. Yeah. Um, and then obviously he goes to the senior bowl, tears it up. Um, he put on a lot of weight as well. So if you watch him versus, uh, you know, in his Georgia tape versus this year mm. at, at Florida State, he's, he's a guy that's ascending. Now, 30 is a little bit low, but when I watched the first couple of games of the season, I thought, yeah, I don't really see it. Um, it was the Wake Forest game. Um, and uh, it was, you know, not a great team. I know they run that sort of mesh concept mm. where they kind of just get the guys on their heels and, and, and leave a little delay to keep to keep, uh, to keep defenders guessing. Um, but, but yeah, 30 is a little bit low um, in terms of the guys. There, where did you? What do you think, of Jermaine Johnson? Yeah, you've seen he, him going in top top eight, you know. Yeah, he's a he's a player that I I really really like. It's that is my grade, and he's a player that I really enjoyed watching until I watched Walker, which I, who I watched quite late in the process. Actually, he was my edge three. I think he just dropped down to four, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, no, yeah. I think going back to kind of what you said from his progression from his Georgia tape to his Florida State tape, I think first of all, I love that he backed himself and came out on top. You know, from leaving a big program to go to a, you know, still quite a good program, big program, still in a power five league, obviously. And, and he, he came up trumps, you know, he's had a great year. 
really productive and um, yeah, kind of come out on top, like I say. And I think he's had that year on year progression even from his Georgia tape to his um, to his secondary sort of year at Georgia. Then he's obviously gone to Florida State and obviously he's come from JUCO as well. So he's kind of had that year on year improvement, which I think is really big because I think it shows that the ceiling's still there. I think his yeah, hand usage is really good. I think because he's had um, a change of coach in, in the Power Five, I think he's got like a variation of kind of styles that you see and things like that. I think that will do wonders for his, his IQ in terms of his football knowledge and his coaching and things like that. I think he's pretty quick. I think he's pretty violent. He's got long arms as well. So he's got all the physical tools as well and he uses them really well. And I think he just kind of looks like a bit of a maniac on tape, doesn't he? So when he's going after people, mm. he can pin his ears back. I think he'll have a lot yeah, of Yeah, the motor's there, 100%. Yeah. yeah, it was more just the, the win rate. I thought it wasn't necessarily always there, but then as you went on to the season, I was kind of in my head, I just kind of wrote down, I'm not sure if he's a game wrecker, more just a, a genuine disruptor, you know, and I think, mm. you know, those guys have value, absolutely, yeah. uh, but a question is whether it be 13. He was going against Zach Tom, Wake Forest, which you've got 43, he was a guy I hadn't watched at all, and mm. um, I'm going to go and pick up a couple of bits more of his tape, uh, but a quite interesting one actually, because he, he just had an ability in it, and partly was the, the mesh that they run, which for anybody's not familiar, but effectively it's just a kind of delayed RPO yeah. at, the, at, the, uh, at the handoff point, and, and basically, you know, defenders were stolen for it, I don't know if they overthought it, um, but, he, but he had the ability to just almost put a hand out on either man, and it kind of almost, partly because of the mesh, partly because of, I think, his positioning and his awareness of where he had to be, I, I just thought, you know, he was playing left tackle, and he went against um, Jermaine Johnson, mm. I mean, he looks like a guard, you know, if it looks yeah. like a guard, talks like a guard, it's a guard. Um, you know, I think people can overthink that at times. Um, but certainly I thought, you know, it, uh, he was somebody that I've not seen anywhere near. Um, you know, you know, I've, I've seen sort of fourth round of lower, but you've got 43. He's a guy I really like. One that sticks out for me, George Curlaftis, you've got joint 40th here. He's a kind of guy that I think, as I said, you know, for every uh, Wisconsin tape, uh, for every Notre Dame, for every Iowa, you know, big sort of kind of standardised offensive yeah, yeah. lineman is good. Uh, but you know, but he's for every for every. He's then got on the flip side every a game against Ohio State against Michigan State. They just he didn't do anything mm. really. And he looked kind of off the pace. So he's a tough one. Um, he's a kind of boomer bust guy, I think. And I don't like putting that up, guys. But certainly you've got second round grade, and I'm fortieth overall. What's your kind of views on Carlaftis? Yeah, Carlaftis. I think he falls into that sort of similar mold as Aiden Hutchinson. Obviously, a couple of steps down from him, but I do think he you know, he's a big, strong powerful edge rusher you know I think he's a former shot putter if I remember correctly obviously come over from Greece and um, got that Olympian strength obviously it's probably something that's been kind of touted around quite a lot but yeah he's kind of linear again he's super super strong but yeah he does have a higher variance and that's kind of what knocked him down a peg or two from the likes of Hutchinson and and uh, you know the Thibodeau and things like that that he he just isn't as good as those guys you know what I mean he's he's again another one that's kind of a lower ceiling guy he's got um quite proficient hands and I think he's got um, an idea how to use them in terms of like his pass rush moves and things like that. He just doesn't have any kind of dip or, you know, ability to find kind of flatten the arc with any sort of speed. So if he comes up against kind of like a long arm tackle or an athletic tackle, who's just kind of a better player than him, I think that's when he does get stonewalled. But when he's coming up against these kind of, you know, like say country fed um, offensive linemen from like the Midwestern schools, then he kind of has got a match that he can kind of win with pure strength on strength. But yeah, kind of more proficient, athletes and um, people who are more technically gifted as a tackle I think do give him problems so yeah I think he'll have a bit of an up and down career I know I was speaking to someone last night actually and I think they comped him to um, Ryan Kerrigan which isn't yeah. a terrible yeah. comp to be honest considering Ryan Kerrigan's career and how many sacks he's got throughout but um, I think he needs to kind of become a bit more consistent to reach that level but you know if we're aiming for that then it's not a bad 
Um, it's not a bad sort of career arc, is it, in terms of if you're going to get him at the back end of the first late or early in the second. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And what's your kind of, how you see um, <clears throat> the positions of strength? What would you say is your kind of top three positions of strength that you think you can find guys, you know, well into the second, third round that can come in and, you know, at least be contributors year one? Mm. Well, I've got, I've got, I've actually, yeah, I've got a, a bit of a cheat one, really. I think offensive line in general, I think is really, really strong. Um, I think the top end of the tackles is obviously really, really high. There's a little bit of a fadeaway after that, but then, you know, you've got the same sort of thing with the guards as well. You've got, like, you know, Zion, Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green at the top, but then I think, you know, like a little bit of a drop away, but then you've got, like, a good group. I think Zach Tom, the guy you mentioned earlier, for the in, in, internally is is really good. Um, Darren Kennard, I think, uh, another one who who stands out for me off the top of my head. And then, you know, tackles-wise, you've got players like Max Mitchell, who probably get early day three, Abe Lucas, day two guy. I think they're really sort of players who will have strong, strong careers. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a bit of a cheat because I've kind of combined those two. I think edge is really deep. I know we've talked about a lot of edge guys and it's something that I like to talk about a lot. I do think you've got a lot of high upside guys as well, players like, you know, Boye Mafe and Arnold Ebekete and people like that who are really kind of, you know, ready to explode if they get the right coaching and the right landing spots we've talked before. And I think wide receiver as well. I think we say that every single year, don't we, in terms of like how deep wide receiver is. But I do think it rings true again. I think you've got some real good guys at the top, but then you've got some really useful players at the, at the kind of middle reaches as well. And a lot of variety as well. I feel like you've got some big guys, you've got some smaller guys, you've got some guys who are coming back from injury like Justin Ross and uh, George Pickens, who we've kind of mentioned before. But I do think you've got like smaller guys like Wandell Robinson, Calvin Austin, uh, some return specialists like Trey Turner, Vilas Jones. I think there's there's just a lot of variety in there. And I think a lot of guys who'll kind of come from this wide receiver class and have really good careers. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, and in in terms of the uh in terms of what would you well in fact we'll take a look at the mock that this uh, latest mock here that's come out by CBS yesterday. There's a seven round, we'll not go through all seven, but <laughs> um but uh, we'll just go through the, the, the top four or five. Um Zach Tom was in there at one oh seven, that was what kinda got me onto it yesterday. Mm. Um and Dominic Robinson was one at 108 they had for the Texans. I watched a couple of games and just thought, skinny, not really a fit for... I know he's got a, a nice bit of burst there from Miami, uh, Miami Ohio. Mm. Um, but I, I just I just thought, look, watched a couple of games. Um, uh, I think it was one against uh, Zappi. That was the one because I wanted to sort of combine the two together. Yeah. And yeah, I just didn't see much. And I know a lot of people are, are, are sort of raving about him. I've only watched a couple of games, you know, and you, you've only, you can only take the sample size. You can't watch every single game of every guy. Yeah. But yeah, for me, I watched that and just kind of thought, yeah, developmental guy, day three. But, you know, people have kind of got him top of the fourth. Yeah, I, I don't know which is day three, but it's, I it's kind a, of early stuff. I had a similar sort of journey with him. I, I couldn't find a great deal of tape on him, to be honest. And because of that, and because he didn't really wow me, I didn't really consider searching too deeply for it. I think this edge class has got something that's not really that usual. It's, there's a lot of like smaller guys in like really kind of skinny brushes. And I don't really see that much of a pathway to be really, really successful. You know, there was one in particular last year and he, he landed on my team in Chris Rumpf. And you just think, you know, yeah. this guy needs to put a lot of weight on and he just can't be an immediate starter. He can't be an immediate contributor apart from if it's on special teams or if it's in some yeah. NASCAR packages or something like that. So, yeah, I kind of had, like I say, a similar journey to, to you with him and I, I didn't dig too deeply on him and I wasn't so impressed that I, you know, I was kind of urged to to seek more tape. But, yeah, not, not really one for me. I didn't even grade him in the end because of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. I just it's a couple of guys the same as uh, Zach Carter from Florida. I kind of watched. Just like, yeah, I kind of get it, but I don't know what position he plays. Mm. Uh, Jesse Luketa from Penn State as well. I watched him. Yeah, I was like, don't know where he plays. Yeah, um, you know. So there's 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 a number of guys there that just you know the scheme fit. And I think from us moving from a three four tradition that we have been for a number of years too to a uh, sorry from a three four to a four three. Mm. Um, and the, in the last year, it's it's been a big change, obviously, for me trying to evaluate fit and, and what have you. But there is a lot of tweeners. You know, there's a lot of kind of three and four man fronts with everybody dropping you know seven or eight in coverage in mm. college so mm-hmm. and when they run so many plays as well it's difficult to you know evaluate um you know because they're getting subbed in and out you know and that's the old adage for evaluating the georgia guys but um right at the top of the draft you've got uh, ikia kwanu um who for me lee i've watched a couple of games i watched the florida state one yesterday was my most recent one um, and he's just so violent yeah. but he almost runs past the play at times it's like the enthusiasm is just it's almost too much in it and he, there, I mean there's so many great sort of three or four second clips you can see him you know knocking second and uh, first second and third level guys on the defense to the deck but for me he needs a bit of refinement but I just I, 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 from the start and now I still see him very much as a guard um, and I know like he might be a Braden Smith type draft as a guard and you know, you can kick out the tackle and, he, and he's successful. You never need to change it. But I think for me, he's he, he looks like a guard. And I think, you know, that that's the issue, though. If you're going to pick third, can you take somebody who's going to play guard? Yeah. With the upside of tackle, that's a question of positional value. But what's your thoughts on Icky? Yeah, no, I think you've nailed it. I think he's super, super violent. That's the first thing that kind of jumps off the tape, isn't it? And he did start as a guard and then obviously kicked out to tackle. Whether he kind of has that journey again in the NFL where he kind of does that, as you mentioned, then it's definitely something that he can do. He's definitely a super, super high upside player. And, you know, his he's, he's value is run blocking. So if you're going to run it a bunch, then you can maybe get away with him doing whatever he needs to, you know. And sometimes with, um, you know, when you're kind of constructing an offensive line, it's sometimes just about finding the best combination, isn't it? So if you've got a bit of versatility in there and you can get a, just a good player, I mean, you kind of saw it with, a little bit with the Jets recently in terms of, them getting Vera Tucker and yeah. Beckton recently, who'd, who've got a bit of um, versatility in them. You know, just, just get them and get them into training camp, bring in a couple of free agents and just see what happens. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that in particular. You know, we saw it even going back a bit further with Zach Martin. You know, he's got that versatility to play yeah. anywhere he wants, really, on that on either side as well. Obviously, players like that are really rare. I'm not I'm not really saying that Icky's one of those, but yeah, just get him, have a good have a good time with him and just see what you kind of come up with in, in terms of his best position because you know, he's still young and he's, you know, you've got plenty more drafts where you can draft the opposite position to whatever he's going to play next year or something like that. Because, you know, unfortunately for the Texans, obviously the rebuild is underway. You know, it's not like you're going to be competing for the next couple of years. So yeah. see it as a long-term project and just see where he best fits. But yeah, just get the highest upside players, I think. Yeah, and I think he definitely is that. And I think that's the, the question, isn't it? Between him and Evan Neal, I think Evan Neal is a day one starter. You can play yeah. on a left or right tackle. Yeah. You'll probably never have too many troubles with him. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's probably above that sort of Cam Robinson level. Oh yeah, he's probably not at the Penny Penny Sunu kind of level, but he's he's sort of in between, I think, for me. Um, so you know, I think in this one, I think uh, Neil was gone. I think I'd probably take Neil over um a Kwanu, um if if you had the chance, um, just by pure kind of draft value alone. But, I agree with that. But it's an an interesting one. Yeah, I think he's just more polished, and I think the fact that he's a bona fide tackle or a view to tackle if you move on from Tunsil, and I think you know it was actually Peter King again the previous week. He said you got to think they're going to take the safest guy who's going to most likely get a second contract and is going to just be a good player because mm. that's what they need to try and find. And I think Evan Neal is, is, is fits that um, potentially. 
Um, and then at 13, I mean, obviously the big big values for us is to trade back. I think ultimately if we can, somebody gets 13 might be easier to trade than three, I would think, just yeah. in terms of draft value. Uh, but they got Jordan Davis from Georgia. Now, I watched them and I just thought, the guy's just so big, you know, like, <laughs> so his pad level just by definition is higher. <laughs> I know he's £325. Uh, I watched the two games against Bam and okay, he did make a couple of plays in those, but for me, when I first watched them, I said, well, I'm just looking at how they set the protections against them. Um, and it's uh, it's 88. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Jalen, what's the surname? Um, the, the guy that's coming out next year in the middle of the defence is the one they're really concerned about. And obviously he's going to be a top three pick, if not first overall next year. Mm-hmm. Um, unbelievable player. Um, the surname escapes me. My name blindness getting into this. But but uh, so he, he ultimately he, he's the he's the he's the kind of you know guy that I thought, well, actually, you know, he gets outshined. I think Devonta Wyatt at times, you know, when you watch him, he's a great, great uh, gap shooter. Mm-hmm. But again, they're just rotating in and out. So the sample size isn't great. So I watched a couple of games and I just thought the protections, the way these um, the Bama set against him, they were kind of happy just to let you know the, the guard of the centre just go one on one and and uh, and that was enough for them to get the ball out on, mm. on rhythm, um, even on kind of deeper drops. And so I thought, well, yeah, okay, but I thought he was being overhyped. Then I stuck on the Clemson game, and he it was unreal, mm. genuinely unreal. And then he had a couple other games. Um, against Kentucky as well was just a hell of a performance he just you know just every time he was on the field he was doing something so I kind of went from a journey of him I've gone yeah okay I get it he's big okay, but can you can you draft a sort of Vince Wilfork type at the, mm. you know, the top of the, the draft and then ultimately you know any small um, amount of snaps in other games he just kind of completely right shot the Clemson game just being one it just Clemson couldn't get the ball out you yeah. know, and they, I know they've regressed but it was just it was a, it was a mess up front it yeah. really was um, and that's part of playing with all these other guys like Walker and and, and what have you. Um, obviously, Anderson was out at the start of the year and then he kind of disappeared. Obviously, he was off field issues. But yeah, but yeah I, I thought, what do you think of Davis? Because I, I, I've kind of gone, you know, I feel 180 on him from the start to, to now. Yeah, I, I watched him uh, probably, you know, almost a year ago, last summer in summer scouting. And I wasn't overly impressed, if I'm honest. I kind of had a, a kind of mid sort of third round grade on him, to be honest with you. I didn't have him too highly rated at all. I was really down on the defensive line class as a whole, which I think as a whole has, has risen throughout the year. I think there's a couple of things with him. Firstly, I know that everyone kind of holds the, the snap count against him. I feel like, firstly, I think that's because they had such a rotation that they had to kind of use them all and kind of get through them and keep guys fresh. It can be a positive as well, because obviously less tread on the tyres and things like that. I don't think it's beyond him to play on a third down. I think he's got more pass rushing potential just from a pure mm. power point of view than people are giving him credit for. So I do think he does have, I don't think he is a pure two down player in the NFL. I don't, I'm not going to say he's going to play every third down either, but I do think there's more potential than people are giving him credit for. The other positive for me, for him, for Davis, is the fact that you just don't get players like that big and that yeah. powerful and that strong and quick and things like that every draft. So, you know, if it's a player that you can use and, you know, you've got a defensive head coach now in Lovey Smith, you know, if he thinks that you can use him, then go and get him. You know, if you think you can, you can't get a player like that every year, so just go and grab him. I mean, like you say, he's he's big enough that and strong enough in the middle that for a lot of guards, and we know injuries happen, you know, in the NFL every year and it wrecks offensive lines. If you're going to go up against someone like Jordan Davis in the middle of the season when you know you're not the first choice, then he's going to absolutely dominate you, and mm. it's going to make the offensive game plan change because they're not going to be running up the middle anymore. So if you can funnel things towards your help, which obviously is the, the big thing on defence, 
then you know if you know that you're cutting off that supply line through the middle between the tackles in terms of the running game, then you can focus all your attention on the wide sort of angles and the wide zone. Obviously, is a big part of a lot of offenses nowadays. So maybe it's a bit of an antidote against that in, in some small way. But yeah, I think he's I think he's a really good player. Whether I draft him at thirteen or not, I'm not sure. And obviously, yeah. I'm sat here as a Chargers fan, fan thinking, are we going to draft him at seventeen after our? Well, that's a perfect spot for our uh, yeah. struggles <laughs> against the run last year. Yeah. I mean, we've addressed yeah. a lot of things in free agency as well, but it'd be, it wouldn't be a pick that I'd be upset with, put it that way. Yeah. No, but no, we, absolutely. But another thing, I guess, just quickly to kind of dive in again, I guess our two teams are in different positions, whereas we can maybe afford to take a nose tackle in the first round, whereas the Texans might need more premium positions at that position. Well, that's it, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're talking about doing a tier one or a tier two position, tier one being corner, mm. edge, quarterback and tackle, you know, so... And then you get into the sort of second tier, which is guard, you know, defensive tackle, yeah. um, safety and uh, wide receiver. So I think that's, again, you know, the, the next kind of tier down, if you like. But um, the next spot of 37 they had in uh, the CBS mock draft was Kair Elam. A guy I've not watched enough. Somebody told me to go and watch the tape against Jameson Williams as, a, as the acid test. I've not done that yet. But what do you think of Elam from Florida? You you will get games like that where you'll, you'll have someone recommend the game to you, but then you'll have complete the opposite as well where he just gets absolutely fried on a lot of plays he is super super grabby super physical he's got all the length and all the desirable measurables that yep. you want from an NFL front office point of view but I'm not a huge fan of his I've got about a third round grade on him I know that Kieran who did him for our guide had even lower grade on him um, yeah. but yeah he's not a player that I'd be really enamoured with I know that I've seen a few mock drafts with him going 17 to the Chargers but maybe that was before we got JC Jackson and that was was a pick that I would be really unhappy with. I think he's going to be a penalty machine. I think that good route runners are just going to be able to shake him off um, because I think he tries to stay with people with physicality rather than technique, which would really scare me. Uh, personally, I'm not a player that I've really liked. Um, I think he needs rebuilding again from the ground up. So, you know, looking at the Texans' corner situation, um, he'd be an immediate starter and probably looking at being their CB1 next to Steven Nelson, right? So mm. whether that would be a, 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 a situation where I'd want him in is, is questionable for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sure. I've I've only seen kind of small pieces. I think for me, it's uh, Emerson from Mississippi State. Mm. You know, maybe if you can get somebody like Booth in thirteen, if that's not too early. I like Booth much you know, better. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it, and I think he's, and I think he's suited suit to his, you know, card like a, even a Kyler Gordon. I think from the, mm. the couple of Washington games, I think, um, you know, he would be a guy that you know. I think just to jump in, I know that we're we're talking a lot about scheme fit, and I think obviously with the Texans probably running quite a lot of zone under Lovey Smith. I think any Washington corner, if you can get Gordon or even McDuffie, if you can get at thirteen, I think both of those yeah. guys fit because Washington's defense is essentially just ball zone. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Both those, I think, and that's I suppose it's. Uh, yeah, is, is McDuffie, you know, is, is 13 too early? Maybe not. I, I don't know. It just depends who comes off the board. Mm. But who would you say your ideal picks at 3 and 13 are then uh, for the takes? If you think maximum value, obviously, you've got a lot. There's going to be somebody's got to trade up at some point. Yeah. You've got to think of whether it's, you know, definitely Car you know, Carolina are, are in there. Is somebody going to jump them? Um, you know, it might get Matt real set, but we'll see. <laughs> it looks like the parting shot at Pittsburgh uh, from the GM there is going to be a, a quarterback, or certainly they've made every sort of intimation mm -hmm. that will be the case. So it may change, but even if you, even if it's just two tops in the two picks in the top fifteen, rather, who would you say would be ultimate value upside guys that you could say you've taken a first step towards the you know a new leader? Yeah. Well, depending on how the first couple of picks go, I think you've just got to go after a top player at a premium position at number three. So 
pick your pick your pick your sort of favorite position really in terms of if you feel like you need help on the offensive line. We've already need everything really. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I think I think what we're looking at is you're looking at with number three, you're thinking either edge or you're thinking offensive tackle. And I think yeah. you know go ahead and take Evan Neal if that's what you want to do. If, you know we've both said that he'd be the pick for us as in like our first tackle off the board. Go and pick him. Like you say, you compare him with Tunsil. You're probably strengthening your offensive line exponentially just from having two great bookends. If you want to go the other way and go for edge, I'd go for Thibodeau. You know, looking like Hutchinson's going to be off the board. Trevor Walker, if Thibodeau goes two to Detroit or something like that, or he's not there, I'd be a bit more, mm, I'm not sure about that at number three. And then you're probably not even thinking edge at all, potentially, because the drop-off after that, like you say, is to um, the players that we've kind of talked about before in terms of, you know, Kyle Aftis or Ajabo, even though he's not going to play, and, um, you know, Jermaine Johnson, for example, and maybe a couple of other guys in the mix for that as well. So maybe if, if it's a bit of a run on edge to begin with, maybe want to maybe trade back, to somewhere in the top 10 for Javon Walker. Um, not really taking it at three, I don't know, but you know whether you get the option to do that, obviously you need a dance partner to do a trade, I don't know. But I think, yeah, those are the two positions that I'd be looking at for number three. And then for 13, it's a, it's a bit of a no-man's land, isn't it, then? Because you know, you're looking at the, the tackle or the edge class and then thinking, well, if we get one at three, then can you get the other at 13? The answer is probably no, because all the good edges and top tackles are probably off the board at that point, you know, the real high-end blue chip players. So then you're just looking at your board and thinking, who's the best player available? And one guy who could be available, who isn't really a position that I'd really say is premium, but is definitely a premium player, is Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he, you know, his combine might mean he's dropping, his position might mean he's dropping a little bit by that point. And the Texans might be looking at that thinking, we're going to get a really, really high end defender who can do a lot of things for us on the back end. And let's just pull the trigger on that rather than, um, you know, swinging for a corner like Booth, who, good player, fits the scheme, will do a lot of good things for you, but he doesn't have that high ceiling as Kyle Hamilton does, despite him yeah. being a safety. So ideally, in my sort of ideal picks, I would nail it down to maybe th- thinking something like, you know, Evan Neal and Kyle Hamilton, I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think, yeah, I mean, if, if you if we walk away with those two guys, I mean, Kyle Hamilton is just, I, I would take him three, to be honest. I, I think he's that good, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's yeah. not traditional, but, you know, I think the point is he's played, he plays gunner on special teams. He can play in the slot. He can play him, uh, you can play him outside as a corner yeah. if you have to. You know, you can play him and he's great in the box. Mm. He's, Maybe maybe you couldn't leave him on island and cover one, but I think he's you know could he find that in time with the right package with the right you know combination of people around him? Yeah, absolutely. You can play him as a sub linebacker, mm. you know, on third down. I think there's so much you can get from him. Uh, whereas you know if you draft a you know a tackle, it's it's all or nothing at that yeah. point. Whereas you know he can he can do so much. So yeah, I mean ideally, as you said, you take one of the more premium positions and he's there at thirteen. Mm. Whether he makes it there or not, I don't know. I, I don't think he would. I think he. I think he's too clean. I think his tape's too good, and 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 to, to get there. But that would be the absolute dream, I suppose. Either him or Stingley being there at thirteen. I mean, the other the other aspect of it is obviously, like I said before, the Texans have got a lot of picks. So what do you do? Do you package a couple up and move move ahead of Minnesota? Yeah. Maybe who's another yeah. potential. Yeah, or Washington. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Up to ten, maybe. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think. I mean, ultimately, you're in a great position to get some good players, yeah. but you know, it's perhaps not the best draft class to get them. Mm. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see in time. Um, in terms of your guys in this class, Lee, have you got any guys that you you've kind of you've you are higher on, or or you think are sleepers or underrated that are going to surprise some people as pros? Yeah, I've got a couple actually, um, and a couple that might kind of fit with the Texans actually as well. Obviously, with the what we've just been talking about, you know, if we get those perfect picks that we've just kind of mentioned, 
you know, if we're looking at the pick, is it so that you what's the early pick in the second round, 30 something, is it? 37, yeah, yeah. 37, you're probably looking at someone like Boy Mafe, as I mentioned before, Arnold Ebiquette, I think, as an upside. So, so Mafe, I'll jump in there. Yeah, but Mafe, I've watched him a couple of games, he just does nothing. And then obviously, there's some fantastic highlights, obviously, mm. great the senior bowl, but going up against the more premium guys, a bit like Sam Williams in the sense. I watched mm-hmm. Sam Williams against Bama, just was like, well, does do anything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he got Evan Neal chewed him up, and I think he, he could have played eight quarters and I don't think he would have got pressure <laughs> against Evan Neal you know it was it was just one of those ones but again it just when you only take that time frame you, you, you come away with that perception I think with, with both of those guys that I've mentioned I mean, Ebiquette is in the, the same mould really yeah and raw, spent, raw yeah, yeah exactly raw upside guys and you know what you want is those guys who are going to potentially explode I would say you know, after that you know you, after that first round and Mafe wasn't even a full starter in college a full time starter so he's got a lot of polish to be added but I think if you do hit on someone like that then it's almost like an extra first rounder in that sense. And I think you can afford, especially with the two first round picks, you can kind of afford to take that luxury sort of pick in the in the next one, really. If you want in a safer pick, another one of real my sort of my guy almost is a Cam Thomas from San Diego State. Oh, um, big fan. A player I yeah, a whole I'm, denim I'm kind yeah. of I would say quite far ahead of the consensus. I've got a second round grade on him. And you know, taking him at 37, I think would be would be good. He's more of like a you know a solid guy, a low, lower ceiling guy, but he's got a lot of versatility to play up and down the line. Um, and I think yeah, high motor player, high character player who who will do good things. Um, but yeah, a couple of other players from other positions. I know I've talked about Edge a lot. Um, I know that the Texans are probably looking for something at running back. Rashad White from um, Arizona State. Arizona, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, really top end receiving back. And I think he can do more on the ground than people giving him credit for. He's got a lot of speed. I think he did a lot with the combine. Um, and I think he he's going to be a, a good player in the league. And I think he's going to be one of these kind of mid-round running backs that people probably don't take too much notice of until they get in a thousand yard season in their rookie year. Um, and I think he's going to be potentially one of those. And especially, you know, considering his receiving prowess, He's going to be on the field a heck of a lot, I think, in the in the early throws of his career if he if he gets an opportunity. Um, a couple of tight ends as well. Jeremy Rucker from Ohio State, I think he's one. Yeah, takes his element for a visit this weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. interesting. Then I think he is one that kind of reminds me of Dawson Knox, the Buffalo tight end, yeah. who okay. didn't get a lot of opportunity in college to make a lot of plays. I don't think, if I remember right, I don't think Knox actually scored a touchdown in college. I think he got like under yeah. 100 receptions throughout his whole career. Uh, at Old Miss and now he's one of the better tight ends in the league and I think Ruckert's kind of got that in his locker I think he's an all-round tight end he's got good hands and he just didn't get the opportunities because why throw to tight end when you've got Garrett Wilson Chris Olave Jackson Smith yeah. and Jingba to throw to so yeah I just don't think he's kind of really um, scratched the surface in terms of his potential there so yeah I've got a couple and um, one one last one if I can um, cool. Alonte Taylor I think is a real high upside corner from Tennessee I think he's got an athletic profile that will fit a lot of teams, especially, you know, the, the league is becoming so much about speed and versatility. I think if we can polish him up, I think he has got a lot of potential to, to kind of match a lot of these speed guys that are coming into the league. So, yeah, there's a handful there for you. Yeah, well, I, I watched them. Uh, I, I put a clip, actually, along to and I said, I, I instantly said, fit uh, for zone. Um, and it was a, it was against Matt Corral and Ole Miss, and he was trailing, uh, trailing the receiver, trying to pass him on to the safety just before he got out of his zone. And uh, but he had the wherewithal to turn his head round, saw the ball was getting released, drove on the 
drove on the, the other man that was coming into his zone uh, mm. before he before he, the other guy had even left and got a PBU and I just thought yeah that guy's per, you know perfect for zone because ultimately you got to break on the ball mm. you got to have awareness you got to have communication to pass somebody on you know yeah. all these things that we couldn't do in the early stages of last year got a little bit better when we mixed in cover one cover three kind of looks and kind of you know got people guessing a little bit but yeah, I thought Alonte Taylor at Tennessee was absolutely one of those guys that, that we could uh, we could think. Good, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm starting to trust my eyes. Leo, it's, it's, getting, it's getting there. Yeah. It's getting there. Um, so have you got any kind of sort of predictions uh, or kind of theories you're working on or anything you want to see go night one? I know you've got Charles Cross really high on your board as top tackle. I think, mm. you know, I think people are sleeping on him a little, but I watched them against when I was doing my Marvin... Uh, De, De Marvin Leal. Oh, oh. sorry. Um, uh process um and uh yeah him and uh, chris clemens on the other side of the red rushes maybe a late round guy undrafted for agent he he just chewed them up and he was so smooth mm. um he was brought there to be a run defender and i think people or a run blocker rather and i think people have kind of unfairly pigeonholed him as is not being good against the run but you know there's certainly evidence of it but mike leach is going to throw it 60 times mm. a game you know so you're not going to get too much rep too yeah. many reps but yeah, I think I, th I think you got Charles Cross up there. But have you got any kind of theories or shocks or you know people that the general consensus, media, national narratives kind of kind of get blown out of the water on draft night or weekend in, in general? Yeah, I think a couple of things that I've kind of thought up, especially in the the past twenty four hours since the the draft night invites have gone out. There's a couple of names on there right. that oh, were seen them yet. Okay. that yeah. were a, a bit of a shock. Really, Kyler Gordon was in there. I know we mentioned him a little bit earlier. He was, he's been invited and he's going to be there on draft night, which is a bit of a surprise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, early, so early, so I was, I was trying to take mock drafts early and I save all those ones and I try and dismiss a lot of the later ones, yeah. to be honest, <laughs> even though I have, you know, it's, it's, it's left me to play some, play some bets, mm. but he was, you know, he was, you know, top 20 picks not so long ago, so kind of makes sense, mm. uh, you know, when the, when the take, you know, when that clean cut gets, then you get all the, the fuzz around it, but yeah, anyway, so yeah. on you go. No, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right to say it. Um, yeah, just kind of thinking about him coming back into people's consideration now that, you know, the teams obviously have an input into who gets the invites, things like that. So he must be getting some buzz around the league and in front yeah. offices. So, yeah, like you say, a bit of recent bias maybe goes away and then it kind of comes back again and people kind of think, oh, my God, I never thought this guy. So, yeah, I think he's he's one to watch out for, for sure. Um, another name that was on that list is Matt Corral. I think that plays in something that I thought anyway, which kind of goes against the grain of what we've been talking yeah, about in terms of... I've got of, money on him, first quarterback gone. So yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be more quarterbacks that go in the first round than expected, to be honest with you. I know, like we said before, that this class isn't good and things like that, but quarterback value just dictates, you know, with that fifth-year yeah. option, there's just going to be people coming, trading up, and having that extra year just to work with their guy. And I think I think there's, there's a couple that will definitely go in the first round. I think Kenny Pickett, as much as... I don't know why. We'll definitely go in the first round. Malik Willis will 100% go in the first round. And he'd be my bet if I wasn't going to put money on it for being my first quarterback off the board. But then, you know, you've got players like Corral who've got upside and, and a couple of others as well. Um, you know, with, with some teams who still need a QB, you know, a long-term answer at least. And it's quite a lot of bridge guys in the in the league at the minute. So, yeah, I think there's going to be maybe quite a few QBs go, maybe up to four or five eventually, uh, which means the second and third rounds, as we kind of mentioned earlier, will be chock full of talent as well. So, yeah, I think, and just going back to my other one that I've kind of noted down is, uh, I know you just kind of, we've talked about him a minute ago, but I think Maffei could go in the late first because I do think he's got that upside. Mm. Potentially yeah. sneak in. No, no, absolutely. I think it's interesting because you know you you have some, uh, you know you have some guys who are sit there awkwardly. You know, was it EJ Manuel going back on the yeah. second or third day? You know, and you think you know somebody's terribly advised the poor guy here. Uh, mm. I'm just pulling up the list just now, but you think people have you know really kind of you know 
have let let them down. In yeah, essence, you sure. Know? Um, you know, because so it, it's. I mean, if it was me, I would stay at home because it's just not worth it. <laughs> yeah, it? you'd you have know? your family around you, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, unless you <laughs> know you were a bona fide top five pick, because like so even somebody like Devontae White, like I said earlier, I think he's a good gap shooter. Um, and obviously, again, small sample size, but I don't know necessarily that skill set does. But then I've heard teams quoted saying, you know, we like them more than mm. most. So there's um, also there's it's, also it's not a big list either of guys this year. No, there's not. There's not. And you know, there's always that randomness, isn't there? At the end of the first, where as you mentioned before, it only takes one team to pull the trigger, and you know, it's them seeing that guy for their scheme and what they want to do and how they want to use that guy, and it's it's a bit of a head scratch sometimes. So you have got mm. that randomness where someone like Mafe, who does have a particular skill set and you know a massive upside that can can sneak in and you know it's not just him I know I've mentioned him a couple of times but you know you could have caught some uh, athletic tackles out there um that could that could sneak in there I know that the, the guy from Tulsa whose name's um escaping Tyler Smith Tyler Smith that's yeah. it Tyler Smith yeah I know that he's getting quite a lot of buzz recently and I know like I say it's hyperbole season and things like that at the minute but um yeah I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like him as well sneak into the top one um especially um, you know, along the same lines as what we saw with maybe someone like Xavier Collins going to yeah. you know to Arizona last year um, from a small school, and no one's really expecting him in the first. There's just picks like that every year, isn't there? Yeah, well, absolutely. There'll be guys there that go, and uh, and and certainly, I think you know, and the Kobe Dean's got potential. You know, because mm. you think sometimes when you when you watch uh, when you watch their tape, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, the, you know, obviously you've got Quay Walker in there, and then the third guy, uh, Tindall, is it Tindall, 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 yeah. yeah. Channing Tindall, yeah, and he just the burst acceleration to get to the ball carrier and make the tackle. I think, you know, arguably, you know, he's elite. And I think when you're playing behind a big front like that, mm. you, know, you can overvalue some of them as well. So he's one, you know, potentially could 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 fall out as well. And obviously, Jameson Williams, I think he'll go, you know, top 15, obviously coming off the injury because he's truly like an elite burner. Yeah. I don't think you get many of those. And, like, you know, we're talking about people will, will, will draft elite traits. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think well, yeah, he, he's, he's posted some videos, hasn't it, Jack Williams, of him doing some exercise and things like that, and he looks like he's on the road to recovery. So, wouldn't be surprised well, if he's it. it's, it's a funny injury because it used to be a death sentence. Yeah. Then technology got better, yeah, yeah. but then you then you saw them talking about um, Odell Beckham's ACL, and actually the the comment was from I think it was Ian Rappaport said the Rams were concerned after they actually checked it medically because the previous one. Uh, when he was in Cleveland was done so terribly it felt like it was just a matter of time before it went again oh wow so, okay so, um, so you know it's one of those things it's it, you know it can be done very easily and, and come back mm. and, and and you can you can move on and, and not lose any burst and you you know you'll get the GPS data because actually really an Achilles or something like that is a far worse yeah. injury now these days than, yeah. than, than your knee because you can still walk normally with it you know I always yeah. think that's the, the kind of strange thing so I'm not surprised he's there but yeah no I think I think all the quarterbacks obviously they've got the, the tip for the agent that the, you know the, the teams will will take them I think ultimately mm. but um, yeah and it'll be interesting I think to see who goes out first the quarterbacks is you know is, is Sauce Gardner the brand in the media just an easy one to say sounds great you know because yeah. I, I think for me I think he's he's light um, he's not the greatest tackler he takes poor pursuit angles and he's not really been tested now I know there's games where people have said they've gone after him mm. um, and it wasn't successful but he wasn't playing against the best competition no. so I think if his name I said this to somebody this morning I think if his name wasn't Sauce and he was playing in the SEC it might be a little bit of a different conversation so you've got to kind of frame that as well and take that the context into account with him as well there's the there's the the headline stat isn't it, that he's never had a touchdown scored on him in college. Yeah. And that is something yeah. that you can put in lights and hang your hat on. But what does it actually mean? Like you say, if you're not getting thrown at, then you've not got yeah. to defend that much of you, really, because yeah, you've so got a reputation that precedes you. 
Yeah, and his his counterpart Kobe Bryant was was uh, was was got the you know awarded one of the top corners. Or he's a, he's a the, he's a really good player. I really like him. Yeah. He's got some uh, ball production as well behind him. Not only like say you know he's got his other guy over the other side of the field who's not being tested, whereas he's being tested and coming up with the ball. And we know how much on defense it's it's all about turnovers nowadays, isn't it? So. Well, that's it, yeah, and some that Lovey preaches. So I think they'll value that, you know. Mm. And I think in the later rounds, and in in the Texans or Lovey Smith's kind of history and uh, Casario's history, degree, I've never taken corners high. So it'll be an interesting one to see mm. where that goes. Any uh, draft night traditions, uh, kind of set up? What you're going to be doing over the weekend, and you live streaming uh, with the full ten yards guys? You know what? what? This I, I saw this on the prep sheet that you sent over, and yeah. I'm going to be really boring. I don't I don't generally do anything in particular. I just right. get a couple of beers in and, and get some food in and just sit there and just take it all in I, I, we've yeah. never done a live stream I've got a, a partner that'll be working she'll she'll want, want me talking through the night so um, I generally don't do a lot to be honest with you so sorry if it's a really boring answer but now yeah. just generally watch it on my own and just take it all in as much as I can just you know yeah. keeping in touch with people on Twitter and things like that but yeah no, I've never watched it with, with with friends or family or anything like that so right. yeah shit, shit answer but sorry yeah day three is always my favourite one I think I just quite enjoyed that the most because it's rapid fire yeah and you just dipping it one particularly with the time difference you know you're a 1am job for here mm. um, on on this side of it and uh you know, I think by the time you've had a few pints or whatever before it kind of, you know, you, it kind of feels, it, feels yeah. it drags, I think, you know, when you've got the full 10 minutes because it can, you know, the cards get handed in and mm. then the television gets behind, you know, the, the, the TV yeah. feed gets behind the real world and it kind of feels a bit, kind of, you know, it kind of gets a bit odd. Whereas on day three, it's rapid fire. Actually, nobody can keep up with it. So mm. it's actually quite, you know, it's, it's I find that the most entertaining day. And they're the guys that stand, stay in the league majority of the time longer than a lot on day three. So that's where you're kind of, your, your depth. Of what, you that, know, the day three, day three is where you've got all the, the guys that you're pinning your kind of oh he's my guy you know and you're looking out for him even if they don't go to your team thinking oh yeah that'll be good he'll be good there and yeah. and you, you kind of see in that draft class as a whole come together for all those teams aren't you thinking bloody oh that team's got a good haul there and you know yeah. you're trying to get really excited and moving forward to the season yeah no no absolutely well lee thank you very much for your time mate it's excellent to have you on again um good conversation um and uh, yeah looking forward to this draft coming around and looking forward to you know actually finding some players and and uh, feeding a bit of hope um, <laughs> and see if uh, I mean the biggest question for this team is not who to draft this year probably um, as long as they're functional starters I think that's all you want mm. it's, it's probably Davis Mills and I think you know there's a lot of kind of hyperbole around there about what he is and what he isn't but he certainly outshot his draft class he's a great example yeah absolutely or, or his draft slate rather you know going in the third round so you know there's always that that uh, adage of you and if you had been in this year he would have been a top player <laughs> you know if Manny had balls you know that's yeah, yeah. stuff. so so it's kind of it's all hypothetical but yeah I think you know there is a lot to lot to be excited about and it's mm. you know, albeit it's not not the deepest class I've, I've kind of linked it to 2019 in a way you know there was a couple of guys at the top and then it was you know, actually, it was like second and third round where the, the real value yeah. was the back end of the first was pretty sparse, you know, mm. um, beyond Montes, uh, beyond Sweat. They went, you know, I think, and a couple of guys and a couple of guys that Atlanta drafted, um, McGarry and Lindstrom and stuff, they've not really been, you know, they've oh. not really been lived up to the slate. So we'll see. We'll see. You just never know. And I think that's it's not an exact science in, in yeah, the teams about it as well. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's it's an entertaining run up, but uh be good when it comes but Lee thank you very much for your time uh, where can people find you where can they uh, find your work yeah thanks for having me on mate no as always great chat um, and yeah like I say it's a, it's a reason to be optimistic Texans got a lot of picks and a lot of dart throws haven't they so yeah hopefully this is the year where you where you guys get better but yeah where you can find me uh, my work is found at Full Time Yards which we've mentioned a couple of times as we mentioned we've just released our draft guide 
if you go over to full10yards.com, uh, go into the guide section, you should be able to buy it. It's only £5 and some of the uh, proceeds are going back into the British game as well, that we do sort of uh, kind of keep things going there and, and kind of make some donations and do some things, which is, is putting back into this game in the UK. So, yeah, even if you don't like our draft guide, you know, you're making a little donation towards uh, keeping the British game going. Um, in terms of where you'll find me on Twitter, my personal Twitter is at Wakefield90. Um, I'm usually behind the Full 10 Yards CFB Twitter account, which is at Full 10 Yards CFB. So, yeah, come over, give us a follow. Uh, there's plenty of good writers on there and, and people that we do podcasts with. We're doing a couple of podcasts next week and the week after, just in the lead up to the draft, talking about our big board and our our guide and just having a bit of a round table, really, in terms of kind of moving towards this draft from uh, from our point of view. So, yeah, like I say, come give us a follow. Well, yeah, I would encourage everyone to do that. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening again this week. Have a great Easter. If you haven't liked, if you haven't, uh, I don't want an Easter egg, just give us a like, give us a subscribe <laughs> on YouTube, share it, leave us a review. Um, and uh, and thank you very much for listening again. Back in a couple of times, hopefully next week, just to keep keep feeding, keep feeding it as we go towards the draft. Only, well, less than two weeks away now. So it's all coming around very quickly. But thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again very shortly.